Uh, hello, everyone, and welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery episode See This Possum Parabellum. And yeah, I hope I didn't mess that up. If I did and you speak Latin, please feel free to let me know. This week, we have a couple of quick announcements to get into right off the top. I recently recorded a, a guest spot on a podcast called Pop Culturally Deprived. This is a show hosted by Mandy Kay and Matthew Vos. And in this show, Mandy, who has been relatively deprived of a lot of pop culture TV and movies, is going through and filling in the gaps in her knowledge. So her co-host Matthew, and with rotating guests as uh, super fans, uh, they discuss films and TV shows that are considered significant to pop culture. So we recorded an episode about Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and from what I've seen of the eloquent gushing newsletter, it is going to be released on November 14th. And because that's the first time I've said eloquent gushing, I should probably say pop culturally deprived is uh, Eloquent Gushing Production. So that's their production company that hosts their family of podcasts. And yeah, you should check it out. Oh, and just for reference, like we've read some of Matthew's emails on the show. Yes, yeah. Say, say, say Matthew. That's right. Okay, and then our second announcement is just that last week will be the last episode of Star Trek Discovery before they go on their mid-season hiatus. Um, we will be doing shows during the break. Um, we're going to do, do our best to stick with every week and have a bunch of fun, different Star Trek-y things to do, which will invariably include Caitlin watching Star Trek that she's never seen before. So that'll be fun for everyone. Most likely, yeah. I did. I shrugged <laughs> there. Yeah. Okay, do you want to get right into it? Sure. <clears throat> Sounds good. Oh, oh, initial reactions. Okay, <clears throat> so you go first. I feel I liked what happened on the, the, the planet, mm-hmm. but I also feel like... Things I liked the episode, but it was very strange. Okay. I'm glad you feel that way because my take on it, well, it was hard for me to really get a feel for it just because of life circumstances last night. Um, my son yes. turns out had a fever and then had to have me uh, with him as he slept on the couch in the living room, which is where I usually watch the show. And I couldn't very well put it on like our big TV like I usually do with him sitting there trying to sleep. So I watched partly on my phone, which kept losing the signal. And then halfway through, my four-year-old woke up and needed me to snuggle him back to sleep. So then I had to stop again and go deal with him, get him to sleep, and then come back and finally watch the end of it. So I was not feeling super thrilled with the episode, but then I was like, well, you know, I didn't get a chance to watch it all the way through. And then I haven't, that was just last night, I haven't had a chance to go back and try and watch it again. So mm-hmm. I was kind of, like like you said, I loved some of the planet scenes. I think the visual effects were amazing. There was some amazing writing that I picked up on. Mm-hmm. But there was some other elements that we'll get into that 
kind of disappointed me. Yeah. I guess some of the things that I didn't like about it, like I'm unsure if it's just because the show is playing a long game and they're all going to make sense later. Right. Yeah, I But we can... Yeah, sorry. Well, I was going to say, like, there was kind of a couple scenes in there where I was like, by the end I was like, does is this going to have something to do with, like, this part of the story? Or are they throwing this mm-hmm. in here for the long, long game? Yeah. So. Okay. Let's start off with some of the parts that we didn't like. And then we can move to the parts that we liked. Okay. So. Did we want to discuss the episode title meaning? Oh, sure. Just we can. you put it in here. Yeah. Uh, did you look up what it means? Yeah. It's the, um, they said it a couple of times in the show, didn't they? If you want peace, prepare for war. Oh, I guess they did. That's one of the things I missed. I'm actually saying, so I had to look it up. Well, I'm, I still had to look it up because I was not sure that that's what it was, but yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's kind of like Lorca's. It's his whole philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Philosophy. There we go. That's a good one. Yeah. My biggest disappointment of the episode mm-hmm. was Laurel and Cornwell. Yeah. Gotta say. I don't know if this is going to be part of Laurel's bigger plot, but ever since the beginning, when she went and freed Vok, I feel like everything else she's been doing has just been a reaction to everything else that's going on. I almost feel like like every time we see her, she's a completely different person. Yeah, I could see that. Like, she seemed to have a plan at the beginning, and now yeah, she seems just to be... Well, who knows what's going to happen to her now? What do you think? Like, I've seen some people who are like, "Oh, she's now inducted into House of the House of Core or whatever," but I didn't get the feeling that she was being led off to like her welcome party at the end. There, no, he he knew that she was yeah. trying to betray him, didn't he? That's what I thought. So I was so confused, and I saw some people on the Facebook page being like, "Okay, so now she is blah blah," and I was like, "That was not my read on that at all." That was my, like, oh, she's going to get taken off to the room where all the other dead bodies of her compatriots are. And, uh, I don't think the show is going to do that. I think there's more for the character. But it just feels like she's scrambling and not actually part of an active plan. And Yeah, it does sort of feel like they introduced her as somebody who had a plan and, you know, was a smart sort of tactician. And then the next time we see her, she's a jolted lover on a ship that tortures people. And then the next time we see her, she's just got a terrible plan that goes all wrong right away. And she's got nothing to back it up. Like, all three of these things have felt like completely different people. Yes, absolutely. And with this latest one, I was really confused because I thought that, okay, she's going to get... Cornwell off the ship for some reason and she seems to have totally flipped on any sort of hope of being part of the Klingon resurgence and I I thought I just sorry to interrupt but I thought all that was was a play to get on the discovery 
which could be which would have impressed me more but then i would have liked to see more actual tension of them having to try and get off the ship instead of them just being caught at first i thought when they the other klingons came across them and cornwell grabbed the weapon i thought they were going to try and work together to get out of there and i thought the whole cornwell thing was a ruse and i kept almost expecting her to like sit up when they got to the engine room so that was the other thing that disappointed me. I was like, so now Cornwell's just dead? What was the point of her being in this episode? Like, you know? Well, it is a part one. Like, yes. Yeah. Right? The next one is basically, so she might be alive. Like, she might. Or she might get resurrected. She might like, genuinely. Yeah, she might genuinely have just been unconscious, is what I was thinking. Yes. Not, yeah, like, she, faking it. True. But. True. Yeah, that whole thing was so weird. Yeah. And, well, uh, I'm kind of hoping that this week, sorry, um, that this week it all comes together and that all of that was part of the plan, even though I don't see how, but that would be great. I'm hoping so, but I'm not optimistic on it. Mm-hmm. And I almost feel like the needed more time for this part of the episode. Yeah. They could have done, like, it would have seemed more suspenseful and I would have felt like there was more at stake if they got further along in their plans to have Laurel defect. Or fake defect or whatever, yeah. Yeah, so first it's set up and she's gonna, the Admiral's gonna be tortured by her. Mm. And then it's like, oh no, no, that was just a ruse. And a really awesome one, actually. I enjoyed that bit. And then they're just Mm -hmm. talking. And then instead of there being this tension of, you know, is Laurel being honest with Cornwell? What's going to happen here? Are they going to get off the ship? Is, you know, then it's just, oh, no, they're caught. And then she's dead. And then she's taken away. It felt like it wrapped up way too quickly when there was a lot more potential there for stuff. So that was my biggest disappointment was that bit of the story and how it was handled. Especially considering Laurel and Cornwell were started off as two amazingly strong women in the show. Yeah. So, that's disappointing. It was. And again, I mean, they might bring it back. They might make it better in the next one. But I definitely think that they were trying to do too much in this episode. Presumably because they want all the plot lines and all the characters to have a big thing before they break. Right, yeah. This was actually the one that was meant to be the end of the first half of the season. Oh, okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so they meant to have this big cliffhanger between now and January. And then when Discovery was doing well, or maybe when they finalized the some of the early production on it, they moved the two episodes uh, into, or at least not the two episodes. There could be a third part to this segment, but they moved it into this year instead of having it in January. Hmm. I wonder... Like, I almost thought when the episode ended, I was like, is this the the break? Because it, it did feel like a, a break episode, a mid-season <laughs> finale, I guess. Yeah, the reason I saw brought up was because of the viewing numbers. Like, it was doing so well that they wanted to pull more content into this year. Okay. But 
I don't know. Okay. Like, maybe they're afraid of losing people? Yeah, I'm, I'm... If anybody out there has some good understanding of the politics behind this and the reasoning behind the ratings and the numbers and why you would want a cliffhanger or not want a cliffhanger, feel free to send us an email or let us know. So, some of the other thoughts on the episode. What did you think of the Pavians and Saru? Good? Bad? Somewhere well, in between? Somewhere in between. I liked... Hmm, I feel like that should have been its own episode. Like, I feel like on that planet, uh, Pava? Whatever. They, they should have just had a completely different reason why they needed to be there or whatever. Like, I'm sure they could have come up with something. They're sci-fi writers. Because as that... Uh, the plot... I just feel like Saru and him wanting to stay and kind of betraying his comrades was its own episode where they should have just dedicated to exploring Saru's character. Versus the overarching plot of the war and what's happening on with Lorel and what's happening on Discovery and blah, blah, blah. It just sort of took away from that. Yeah, I could see that. And I think that the Saru and uh, that planet could have totally filled an entire episode. Yeah. Especially since I, like, it kind of, I don't know if they, like, was it actually Saru who betrayed them, or... All of that's left unclear. Yeah, and I think that that's kind of a disservice to the character. Now, this is, like, an obvious cliffhanger. So, mm-hmm. when we see the next part of the, the episode, the second part, I keep saying the second part, I should just say the next episode. When we see the next episode, it may resolve nicely. Uh, we may get a lot of the answers. It may feel more fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping. I don't know, though. It kind of felt like with that scene in the medical ward, hospital wing, healing area, whatever, uh, that they were sort of wrapping up that plot. And Saru was just magically back to his his normal self. And I don't... Which felt very strange to me, because if he was possessed, or whatever, on the planet, then great, but that didn't seem... Then, then he would go back to his normal self when he was taken away, I suppose. But if this was just a decision that he made, then why would he go back to his normal self when he was taken away? And that, I don't know. That just felt weird to me. I have tons of questions about the Pavians and their interaction with Saru. And how much was Saru and how much was the Pavians, like, how influenced was he? Because this also, there should be ramifications for his decisions to try and sabotage the mission if it was yeah. his decision versus him being possessed by the other will of the Pavians. And I'm hoping that gets addressed because if they just leave it, that's like just another giant sort of cliffhanger thing. Um, I saw some speculation that maybe Saru will be demoted in some way, letting, you know, Michael rise up above him again. I don't know if I like that. Well, no. I know I don't like that idea, and I hope they don't go that way. I'm kind of hoping in the next episode we see more planet side. 
to resolve things. Like maybe both the Federation or both Starfleet and the Klingons send people down to the planet for some yeah, reason. Okay. And that, yeah, that could be interesting. Mm-hmm. And if like somebody else gets Pavian possessed or whatever, mm-hmm. maybe we'd learn more. Either way, I wish that that had just been its own episode and that you could we could all really explore Saru's character and how... Because I, I liked it. I liked mm-hmm. what they did. Mm-hmm. I just thought, because it was shoved in with all this other stuff, it never really got a very good payoff. Yes. But really, I thought that was the best part of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. The we You actually made a comment on our Twitter about... Because you have lived in Toronto before? Mm-hmm. Correct? Yeah. And so you were saying how you know it was filmed, like, nearby, but it doesn't look like the forests around Toronto kind of idea. No, and did not. one of the production people was actually responding to you. Yeah, that was cool. Yeah, that was really cool. And I have to say, I never thought that I would want a picture of, you know, the greater Toronto area. But those special effects were gorgeous. So that was a highlight for me, was just how, you know, on the planet, uh, it was just a beautiful location shoot. I love that they have the budget to do this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. A lot of the original series and the next gen were hampered by the fact that they had to either dress up sound stages to look like it was outside, or they had very limited location shoot options. Yeah, I really liked it. I liked, because we briefly mentioned before, uh, we both live in and around Vancouver, mm-hmm. and so many things film here that, like, when I watch things now, I I know exactly where everything is. Like, I remember I watched two seconds of a show one time, and I, was, and I saw some trees, and I was like, oh, that's here, because I just recognize it so much, and they don't put any effort into disguising it. Yes. And so this was nice because I was like, this doesn't look anything like Southern Ontario. Yeah, so really good job with the effects. I wasn't able to pay attention enough to the space battle to know how well done that was, but... I I really liked it. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, and it was one of those scenes that, um, as I also mentioned on Twitter, that it was one of the scenes that made me really like Lorca. Mm. Which, I, that's one of the things that I really enjoy how they do, how sometimes I goddamn hate that man and want to punch him in his face, and sometimes I really, really like him, and and I don't think that that's a contradictory, I think that's that's just a well-written character there. Yes. Agree, 100%. And in this one, you can really see why he gets to be the captain of a ship like this. Yeah. Because he goes in there and he gets the job done. And he puts everything on the line to save, the, try and save the other ship. Yeah. And, like, I really liked when he just took their, didn't even think about it, took their ship and got in the way of the missiles and, or tried yep. to at least. And that was, it was just really good stuff. Yeah. And it was a really good space battle. Mm-hmm. Again, why they had to have that in an episode like this, it was, I guess, just setting the stage for how things are going with the Klingons, that the Klingons are gaining ground because so many of the ships have the stealth technology. Yeah. But I'm not 100% sold we needed all that screen time on it. I don't know. Yeah. 
I'm wondering if just different editing decisions would have been, I don't know, better. Or have this be a three-part episode. Well, again, I hate to be a broken record here, but I can see where it might tie everything together in the next episode. Just because it looks like that might be going towards a space battle there. That's true. There might be some good mirrorings. Yeah. And speaking speaking of some of the nice mirrored and contrasting scenes, there was actually some really good uh, parts between the A and B plot where they kind of had these back-to-back scenes or closely played scenes that were really good, I thought. Yeah. I, like, genuinely thought that to myself while I was watching the show. Like, oh, the A and B are complimenting, complimenting, (laughs) oh god, I can't speak, (laughs) are complimenting each other nicely this episode. Like, that was a genuine thought that I had, mostly thinking of you. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, they had the parts at the beginning where there was two aliens who were trying to talk to each other, and I hope that this is, you know, a sign of what's... to come, where they're going. It seems like they're moving in that direction of a resolution of sorts between the conflict of the war. Mm -hmm. So that bit was nice when you had the Admiral and Laurel talking, and Saru making contact with the Pavians. Yeah. And then there was the bit where Saru is trying to make Tyler and Burnham stay while on the ship, Laurel and Cornwell are trying to escape. Mm-hmm. And then even the fight scenes, there was like a physical brawl between Laurel and Cornwell. Mm-hmm. And then Saru and Burnham had their fight. And even that, there was uh, this juxtaposition of the movement. Like you had the Kelpian sprinting scene to the fight. And then on the other hand, you had the fight on the Klingon ship ending with dragging the body away to the engine room. Yeah. Yeah, that so. was some good good direction there. Yeah, yeah. I oh back to well, not back to but like on the same subject as characters who were like one thing in one scene and then something completely different in another scene. I got that same feeling from Tyler this episode. That he was kind of flip floppy. Yes, he had that one speech in this episode about how he feels about the Klingons, and I'm like, this is the first time we've seen this at all, even a hint. Like, it feels yeah. like it was just and then, Well, that was him putting on a show for Saru. I guess, maybe? I mean, he was supposed to be trying to distract Saru. Yeah, but I'm so saying it, we don't know if that was his real feelings or not. Well, it may have been, like, he may have been tapping into it, but... True. Okay. We, we don't know. Yeah. Right? What part did you feel was flip floppy for him then? Well, there was there was one bit where he was, and I get that he was probably just being flirty, where but he was like, "Well, let's just forget the war and blah 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 blah," and they had their their you know their moment, yes. and then almost immediately afterwards he was like, "No, we have to do everything we can to beat them." Oh, but I think that was covering up the fact that he was stupid. Because he's sitting there oh. trying to be, like, romantic and being like, oh, yeah, when the war ends and, all, you know, there's fishing and blah, 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 without thinking that, like, yeah, when the, I'm talking to, you know, the great uh, mutineer who, when the war ends, will not have a purpose here anymore and will be sent back to uh, prison. 
And then she points yeah. this out to him. And then he's like, oh, right, so let's do, like, let's keep the war going then so we can be together. It seemed a little stupid and awkward. Yeah. So it was just, like, another instance of kind of characters flip-flopping around is all. Yeah. From how suave he was in the time loop mm-hmm. scene, I wouldn't expect him to make that big of a verbal blunder. Like, I would expect him to be a little more self-aware than that. But yeah. I think they wanted to kind of have that sort of conversation set up. And maybe set up some more conflict with Michael internally, what how she feels about the war. Mm-hmm. It did, it did also set up, like, basically... Like you mentioned last episode, there we shouldn't do this talk. Right. Right. The sowing seeds of doubt as to whether they should pursue this, because as soon yeah. as the conflict ends, they can't really be together. Yeah. Doomed romance. Everybody's favorite. I mean, <laughs> everything else aside. What? Everything else aside, I'd, everybody's favorite? Everything else... Well, no, um, I, I said doomed romance, uh, well, like, everything else aside being that maybe he's not a human oh, being. Oh, yeah, right, okay. Gotcha. Which would doom it also. Yes, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the Tilly and Stamets stuff? I liked it, um, but it, again, it felt out of place. Yeah. I'm hoping with the episode as a whole, there's going to be some purpose for it that becomes more obvious, and it's not just... We've got to throw some of this stuff in here, so for, you know, the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. Again, it just sort of felt like they wanted those characters to also have a cliffhanger. Yeah. Or at least some screen time, because they're really popular characters, and yeah, we got to have stuff going on with them. But I hope, I, I guess I just want that to have its own episode. Yeah, or at least... I can understand it not being in an episode if it gets more time in a later episode. Like, they don't have to touch every single strand in every single episode. Mm-hmm. Or they could have just had that first scene where, you know, he they use him to jump and he calls Tilly Captain. And, th- and that, just so that everybody knows there's stuff going on with him and that Tilly's the one noticing. And then they could have you know, had maybe a little moment in the next episode, and then the episode after that maybe addressed everything. You know, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. I think that would have worked, too. But it did just sort of feel like they needed to shoehorn them in somehow. Yeah. Shoehorning them in is a good phrase for it. Yeah. How did you feel about Tyler and Burnham smooching? No time loop this time. No time loop. I felt okay with it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I'm not... I'm not a shipper. So I yep. have more neutral feelings on stuff like that. I, I am not super excited with it. And with romance plots on TV, because of the ongoing nature of TV shows, I'm always very, very hesitant to get too involved. Because... Sometimes it's like you'll you either know they'll never get together and mm-hmm. it's going to be this long you know unfulfillment arc mm-hmm. or they'll get together and it'll be terrible TV because nobody knows how to write that properly. 
So I'm always very hesitant to invest in those sorts of things. I like romance in movies much better because they have a better structure for it. Right. I, I like that you have a choice. I find that I personally don't have choices in these matters. <laughs> okay. You're just like, I'm not going to get invested. While me, I watch a thing and it's like, oh shit, I'm invested. I don't know when that happened. But this better happen or I will kill everyone. So you're enjoying it then? Um, you know what? I am. I'm really looking forward to him not being human and there being like all this heartache and terribleness. It's going to be really good. I mean, it's going to be terrible, but it's It's going to be really good. It's going to be terrible in that good way. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, There's going to be longing glances. Uh, It's going to be great. Okay. Anything else to go over from the show? I don't think so. I, just a general, I really hope Cornwall's not dead. Oh, okay. And I have a question. Okay. What did you think about that death room? Well, that was weird, right? Okay, actually, we got a Twitter comment this morning about that from uh, at Gypsy Book Nerd. And she wanted to know our thoughts on that as well, so this segues perfectly. And oh, she perfect. was asking, are the bodies in the engine room characters we should recognize, or just random Klingon or Tukumba acolytes? And she's also wondering if there's a significance to the fact that they're in that room versus, like, they're on the sarcophagus ship, so why aren't they in the coffins on the hull? Do we know if Klingons have a sort of tradition with death? Like, do we know what they do with their dead bodies? Well, er, like, at the beginning, Tukumva was clearly... There was an importance of preparing the bodies and having them on the coffins on the ship. Oh, yeah, but this ship's been taken over by somebody who didn't care about Tukumva's followers, so obviously he just threw them all in some room. Like, that makes sense to me. He he wouldn't give them any sort of... So you think it's just a fact that... uh, is it core? Cole? Cole, I think. Okay. Um, the the red-eye guy. Yeah. You think it's just that he doesn't follow Tukumva's, Tukumva's religiosity aspect of it and doesn't care about that aspect of their traditions? He doesn't care about it and also, like, conquered these people. Like, these were his victims? Uh, that's not the word. But you know they what I mean? Members- so he... Yeah, they were members of an enemy house. Yeah, so I can see where maybe he specifically did not respect them in death. Mm -hmm. I could see that as well. I wasn't sure if the people in that room were Tukuvma's followers, or maybe just other members of Lorel's own house. I wasn't clear on it, but either way, it's I think that he didn't see them as being loyal. And had them killed. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, like, they must have been in there for some time. Why is he keeping them? That's the part that confuses me. How long have they been dead? Where, like, if they're from when, uh, Vok had the ship, that was months ago in show timeline, I think. Or at the very least, weeks ago. Like, they would be decomposing. I think it's more recent. But... Why? How? What? Because if 
if Valk and Lorel were kicked off that ship, and then Lorel had her prison ship, in which, like, all that was going... Like, this, there must have been some time. So did he just sort of keep their followers and slowly kill them, and then throw them into that room, and then keep their bodies. Like, why wouldn't you just dump them? You're in space. Dump them. Now I want to go back, or at least incinerate them. Like, you have lots of weapons that can do that. Yeah. I want to go back and actually listen to the names, because she says their names. And I'm wondering if it's other Klingons who have sworn loyalty to this guy, or, like, other house leaders or something, and he's letting it seem like there's these people swearing loyalty to them, and he's killing key members, and then he can't just have his normal crew dispose of them, so he's hidden the bodies somewhere? That's interesting, but still, it would smell really bad in that room. Well, we don't know how recently this batch of bodies is. This could just be the people he killed this week, and he'll get around to, you know, shoving them out on the airlock later. I hope so. I hope maybe that was the garbage room and they get dumped because, like, he is 10,000 times more disturbing if he's just like, well, I have this room where I keep my dead bodies. Death fetishist. Oh, Jen. (laughs) And again, we see Jen's dark side as she giggles and Kate cringes. Anyways, let's move on from this topic. Unless, did... Anybody else? Did we have any more comments about it? Not about this, but we did get some more uh, comments from Twitter uh, in a DM. Uh, So, Twitter user at Strangely Literal said that she was just getting caught up on everything. And she wanted to share something that she learned about Stamets. And I don't think we've covered this on the podcast yet. No, um, so I read that message... And I meant to mention it last week, and then I completely forgot, so I'm glad that you brought it back up. Yes, and I'm sorry for not mentioning any of these messages earlier, but I see the messages pop up on my phone, and then I read the beginning of them, and then I forget where to find them later on. So I think the, it's also problematic <laughs> because our Twitter, like, we both check it. So yes. I will go into our DMs, and then the alert will go away. <laughs> And, yeah. Yes, that is the other problem. Um, but, yes, so uh, she found out that Stamets is actually inspired by a real famous mycologist, a uh, current scientist, and whose name is Paul Stamets. And, and this Twitter user, strangely literal, uh, works at, uh, she's in the sciences field. And so she was basically talking about it and... There was also people making jokes about fungi and wormholes because there are predatory fungi that eat nematodes and punch holes in them. <laughs> Which is a science joke. <laughs> I'm giggling at it. Um, so yeah, and she's also watching it with a roommate and sort of having a good like bonding experience with a new roommate over it. Which just makes me very, very happy. It makes my truck art happy to know that it's inspiring, it's being inspired from actual science, and people in the sciences are able to engage with it and find humor in it, because this is what good Star Trek does. 
and that it's bringing people together. Exactly. So yeah, I was very, very happy to hear that. Alright, did you have any Easter eggs and nitpicks? I missed one. Apparently there was a Tribble sighting again. There was a Tribble, yes. I it was on um, Lorca's desk. Lorca's desk it was, again? Okay. I can see where if you're watching on your phone, the angle was weird, so it was like right in the foreground while mm. the camera was looking up at Lorca. Mm. And, and I was it also was distracted. Definitely, and, yeah. yeah. It was definitely alive, though. It was moving. Oh, good. It was okay. not like a dissected trivel. Okay. Uh, the o- I couldn't really catch any others. Uh, the only other thing that sort of came up was that they're referencing a couple of major Starfleet protocols. The first mm-hmm. being the rules about the Prime Directive, which says that they are not allowed to interfere with pre-warp civilizations. Right. Uh, so they mentioned that one. And then they also realize that they are now, when they're dealing with the Pavians, into first contact. And there's first contact protocols that they have to follow. So I thought it was neat that they acknowledged that. If I've missed anything, feel free to send me a tweet at command of her own. Or if you know my own Twitter handle, you can ping me there. Or send us an email, which is a command of her own at gmail.com. Well, I thought we would do the fortune cookie, the recommendations, and then we would jump to talking about some fan theories. Sure. Okay. Mixing it up. Okay. Fortune cookie it up. Okay. Uh, this week's fortune cookie is really kind of boring. Uh, an official document will arrive soon. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know. Tilly. Tilly. Oh, oh, Stamets calls her captain. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like it. I like it. I will say, when that happened, um, I really hope that if we do ever see more about that whole Mirror Universe thing, I was like, oh man, I hope Tilly's the captain in that universe. Oh, that's good, too. Because that would be fun. Yeah, I like that for Tilly. I couldn't think of any other good option for this, because... I was like, I don't know, uh, the Pavians in general, the Klingons will come with a giant memo of we are warmongering people. So yeah, that's good. On the other side of things, can you imagine being at like a big dinner and that's the fortune cookie you get? An official document will arrive soon. Like, I know. thanks, I got a bill. <laughs> yeah, here comes the bill. Those three people who left to go to the bathroom a half an hour ago, they're not coming back either, so here's theirs. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so do you have a recommendation this week? Um, Mine's super obvious, but I saw Thor last night, the new Thor movie, Thor Ragnarok. It was fabulous. Everyone should go see it. I've been hearing good things. Really good it things. Was, it was really great. Means I might see it in the next 12 months. It was a lot of fun. Uh, I have a recommendation this week. Mm-hmm. And it's that everyone should go track down some of the screenshots of the visuals of this episode on the planet and set them up as your wallpaper, because they are gorgeous. Ooh. I've got one on my watch this morning. I played around with it. Interesting. So See, I would feel some West Coast betrayal if I put a 
<laughs> Wallpaper of Toronto. I off know. Of my computer. This is how powerful Star Trek is, Kate. It's making me put up pictures from Ontario. Okay. Ugh. Uh, I know. I don't think I can do Ontario people. I think there are maybe a couple who do listen. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sure, sure they understand. Lovely. I'm sure they would never put up a, a screen of a shot of British Columbia on their computers either. <laughs> they understand. Don't worry. Okay. Jen starts getting angry hate mail now from people in Ontario. Um, I grew up in Toronto. I can guarantee we're better. <laughs> anyway, <Okay>. sorry. <laughs> Carry on. A hundred percent agree. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and now, before we jump into fan theories and potential and spoiler, with potential spoilers, or things that you just might find boring, don't forget that if you are enjoying the po- podcast, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, which will help others find the show. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to us on Twitter at commandofherown, or email a commandofherown at gmail.com. And also, like, just after watching an episode, if you want to send us questions to address or things that you want to hear our take on, feel free to tweet or email about that as well. And because most people probably watch before I get to, and we have to record after that, we'll, there's a good chance that we can include current comments on the episode when we record. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to start talking about those theories again. So, Kate, mm-hmm. you already alluded a few times to the fact that Vok is probably not actually human. I didn't see the word Klingon, though, so I didn't feel it was too... True. Spoilery. True. <laughs> I couldn't think of the word there. <laughs> anyway, sorry, carry on. Did you feel like there was anything in this episode that gave us more evidence for this whole Vok is Ash Tyler? No? Yeah, the only thing was, I think Lorel had a line about Vok being gone. Kind of idea. I, I didn't, maybe I did write it down. I have to write my notes in the dark with a pen. Right. So, let me take I a do look. seem to think she, they did, she did say something about him being gone, and it was carefully worded so that it, it wasn't dead. Or, you know, like, it was carefully worded to not really say where he was or anything like that. Yeah, Vok was chased away. He might be forever gone. So, yeah, it was very carefully worded. And I guess, like, maybe... Actually, I do kind of like that. Because if, um... the, The whole forever gone thing, if it is accurate, then we might not, like... We might not get this reveal on him... For a long time? Well, not that, but there... Sorry, let me put my thoughts together here. That if it is... If Tyler is Valk, then that is a look into how the process, whatever's been done to him, works if she's actually genuinely worried that we that he might not come back. Oh, I see what you're saying. This might be sort of more permanent than... Okay. Hmm, that's interesting. Or they Possibly. may have implanted the identity too well and... Hmm. Yeah, or something. If if indeed Tyler is Valk, which he has to be at this point, like... 
just, like, just I will laugh so mention- hard if he's not Vok. Okay. If he is not Vok, then what in the shit is going on behind the scenes, though? I like, don't know. who is the actor? What's going on? Why are they doing this? That's what bothers me. Like, in the plot, sure, I can 100% be behind him just being a dude. Um, you know what I mean? Um, but all the other stuff, all the weird conspiracy behind the scenes stuff, what is all of that if he's not Valk? I don't know. But, yeah. Uh, I wanted to talk about another fan theory that Mm -hmm. I haven't discussed before on the show. So after the episode Leafy, uh, there was some people who were wondering about a link between the original series and Discovery, because the original series had an episode, which I think was called Daggers of the Mind, in which there was this woman who was called Lethe, and her background was that she was, I think that we knew that she was formerly incarcerated for doing terrible things, but she had a background in psychology, so she was now um, providing, like, um, she was now being a psychologist to other prisoners. And so when the Discovery episode had Lethe, which was... uh, featured Admiral Cornwell, a lot of people started, well, not a lot of people, I think a few people started theorizing that Admiral Cornwell might become this character. Like, that may be where she ends up. Because now she was being captured by the Klingons, and they're like, well, maybe they torture her, and she goes insane, and, you know, things happen, and then she winds up in the place where Kirk finds her. And we know from Discovery that Admiral has a background in psychology. So some of these pieces were starting to fit, which I thought was really cool. And so when, in this episode, it's like, is she dead? I need to know if she's dead. I don't want her to be dead because this theory actually is kind of cool and it could have like a really cool uh, bit of progress for the character. I honestly don't think she's dead. It would be really poor writing if she was dead. I'm hoping. I will be so disappointed if she's really dead and gone. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. Um, I do have a link to a YouTube that explains the theory and has, like, side-by-side pictures of stuff from TOS and Discovery. Interesting. And somebody talking about it, so we will try and remember to include that in the show notes. The last time you told me to include something in the show notes, I 100% did not. So, please remind me. Okay. (laughs) Anyway, okay. So, yeah, so that's the only other fan theory I wanted to talk about, was that Cornwell and Leafy Lake. And just a little fun side note, this entire time when I was doing our notes, I kept writing Cromwell. Yeah. (laughs) The entire time. Instead of Cornwell. Cornwell. (laughs) We had a thing. Oh, so... Back to Valk, everybody's favorite potential love interest. If he turns out to be Tyler, and that's all true, mm-hmm. and let's say they wrap that all up this season, like in the mm-hmm. second half, mm-hmm. which they better because they didn't know they were getting a second season until recently, mm-hmm. do you think that that is going to set the tone of the show 
going forward into the second season and beyond? Like, do you think they're always going to try to have a a surprise mystery thing? Oh, good question. Like a uh, a character that is not what they seem specifically, or do we just think it's going to be like a twist every season? Yeah. A twist every season is more what I was thinking. Hmm. They might try for that. I mean, one of the things about streaming TV that's a luxury is that the studio can decide when things premiere. They're not linked to the sort of rhythm of cable TV when... Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I've heard season two probably won't start until 2019. (sighs) I know. So they have time to do good writing is the good part of that. And hopefully they do put some compelling stuff. I'm also really curious to see where the Klingon war is going. Because it's ten years before Kirk's time, and we kind of know that he's the Klingon war gets wrapped up by then. So I'm really curious yeah. how they're going to write the canon of this happening. Do you think they're going to do that this season, or do you think they're going to save it for next season? I hope they save it for next season, just because I would like to see more um, more intra-Klingon house conflict. Oh, that was that mm-hmm. awkward. Um, but yeah, more conflict between the different Klingon houses, and I would like it to be more than just, you know, this guy starts taking command of all the Klingon houses and continuing this war that Tukumva really, really started. and But the Federation ends up being tougher. And they beat him. I would rather see more like yeah. internal Klingon politics going on and... I don't know. Yeah, I, I hear you. So. Yeah, that'll be good. Yeah. Anything else about the episode or anything? No, I think that's about it. Alright. Um... You usually take the intro. I do. So. <laughs> oh god, I just saw that. I'm sorry, I just saw that you actually put in awkward bye in our notes. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, sorry, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you everyone for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us at acommanderforown at gmail.com or at command of her own on Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Bye. Bye.